Comics Monthly Monday number 13. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. I'm Batman. This looks like a job for Superman. Now, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Hey, we're back. And you missed it. Just There was just a whole slew of bad Batman impressions all having to do with Scooby-Doo, but that's for the future. And for the now, it's me, Chris Honeywell, with my co-freak, Scott Gardner. Hey! And another guest freak, Michael Bailey. Hey! <laughs> hey! <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> I wasn't going to acknowledge you till I heard just some sort of bleat come out. Everybody has flippers for hands tonight. It's... I wet my gel. <laughs> bad, bad, bad. Now, and we're going to be talking oh, comics. Yeah, it's yes, one of those funny nights. Books. Talking about them goddamn funny books. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, man. did my dad just come on the line? <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, of course, as every Comics Monthly Monday, we'll have a an ish, issue of The Walking Dead and an issue of the <gasps> Saga of the Swamp Thing. Swamp Ooh, yeah. Thing. Swamp Thing. You gotta put a t- you gotta put an A in there. It's not Swamp, swamp Thing. thing. Swamp thang. Thang. Yep, that's right. There you go. You guys aren't talking about that shitty animated series from the 90s, are you? <laughs> I no, never we're talking about the that. shitty live-action series from the 90s. <laughs> oh, oh, man. And it's <laughs> funny. My, my roommate has the emulator for the, I think, for the Super NES or whatever, and it had a Swamp Thing game, and I was watching it oh, play it the other day. I forgot about that. It was terrible. <laughs> yes, terrible. it was. Terrible. But, yeah, he was, he was playing the Swamp Thing game. But we won't be doing that. We'll just be discussing the comic books. And I wish there was a Walking Dead video game. That would be pretty good if it was like Walking Dead mixed with Grand Theft Auto or something like that. That would be very cool, actually. Yeah, I would enjoy that. You go around jacking people's vehicles and throwing them to the zombies so you can get away. Exactly. Also, able to drive through a virtual city the size of one like in Grand Theft Auto <laughs> or Saints Row or something like that, just mowing down, you know, <laughs> fucking dead as they stumble into the road or whatever. Yeah, it would be I think awesome. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> See how many you could mow down before they, you know, they gather a, a big enough crowd to be able yeah. to stop 
car or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know the 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 virtual you know the virtual intelli- zombie intelligence these days must be of the level that like when you start shooting with the shotgun, it could attract other zombies. You know, until you have oh, you know, you could you could ha- you could be on horseback, in a car, in a camper. Mm-hmm. It would be awesome. Well, they they have that game. Them. What is that game? Uh... Oh shit! Dead something. Dead Rising. Yeah, but doesn't that? I can have... see them. What's that? Doesn't that have sort of like it's sort of like a straight up zombie thing, but then it has bosses that are like big bug creatures. You know, like the thing, like the John Carpenter thing, sort of. Well, I don't know big about bosses that. and stuff like that. You could be right. I, I own that game for all of one day. I, oh, I got okay. it for last Christmas, and s- there's something screwed up with that game to where the the text t- to tell you what to do was like microscopic. I mean, I have perfect 2020. It was not my eyes, you know. It was just a, a matter of the the print was so small I couldn't tell what the hell was going on and I was like well rather than just sit here and get frustrated I'll just return the damn thing right. you know at another <laughs> day you know when they fix it or whatever but from what I played of it it seemed like pretty much just a straight up you know zombie game based loosely on like Dawn of the Dead you know you're stuck in this big shopping center this big shopping mall in a town where there's been this I like zombie the idea outbreak. Of that. I like that idea, but, you know, we we were talking about something more like Grand Theft Auto. I would like that idea if, you know, you could actually choose to leave them all. You know, make your way across the parking lot, you know, hotwire a car and then just go tooling around the city taking your chances, you know. I think that'd be a hell of a lot of fun. You know, you're driving around, maybe, maybe you know, one hand you're steering, the other hand you got a shotgun aimed out the window blowing away zombies or what. And you're just out there foraging for food and supplies and gas and everything, you know, taking the chance that you might be flying along at 90 miles an hour and around a corner and there's, you know, 100 million zombies blocking your path and you're screwed, you know. I'd, I'd love a game like that. That would be awesome. You know, rather but, than just, you know, stuck in the mall type of thing, you know, which is cool. Don't get me wrong. That's cool. But you could just ramp that action level up so much more if you could actually get out into the city. But I agree with you, there should be some kind of sensor within the game that if, if too many zombies overwhelm your car, you're not getting out and you're dying. Right, yeah, that's you know? what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just, just and, and, and I love the, and, and the whole Walking Dead guns attract them. God, I'd love to play that. I'm not a big gamer, but I'd sit down and play that shit all day long. Yeah, I, I can just, yeah, I, I just, too. I have that perfect scene pictured in my head where you're, you're seriously, you're just... You know, the, the zombies are somewhat sparse on this street, and you're just flying along, laughing your ass off, having a riot, running them over, going up and down the road, shooting them and whatever. And then you take this one wrong turn, and as you turn onto that street, there's just like a, an endless horde of zombies, and you get about 10 feet in, mowing them down before there's enough of them to actually stop the vehicle. Stall your and, car out, yeah. <laughs> you're completely fucked, you know? I, I just, like I, that video I, I think game. that'd be awesome. Why doesn't it exist? It seems like that's a no-brainer. Somebody's going to release it now about six months after listening to this episode, and then I'm going to be pissed because I didn't do it myself. We're too busy making videos like, do you want to date my avatar? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, there are some seriously lame-ass video games out there. Hey, speaking of which, I meant to ask you, Chris, was that that Republic Heroes game turn out to be any good? Eh... I gotta okay, say, it was just sort of like your general 
you're running around with a lightsaber, you're jumping from this area to this area, then you fight these guys in a certain way, hmm. and then you go someplace else. You know, it wasn't not fun, but it wasn't anything new or revolutionary or really, really like, ooh, this is cool to play. Nothing to write home to Aunt Beru no, about? like the Power of the Force <laughs> run, yeah. <laughs> Dear Aunt Peru. Dear Dear Aunt Peru. (laughs) Killed a band for the day. (laughs) Sure miss your blue milk. (laughs) We'll we'll write again when I have time. Did you guys see that that video that made the rounds recently of the stormtroopers sitting there drinking the blue milk and talking about the destruction of the Death Star like it was (laughs) 9-11? No. (laughs) No, I hadn't seen that. You know, you had people like, I was on my way there, man. And just like, I can't believe, I can't believe that one guy in an X-Wing managed to do it. It was yeah. fucking hilarious. Oh, I <laughs> oh, right. One more day and I would have been on the Death Star. Yeah, exactly. makes you wonder, man. <laughs> but they're drinking oh, blue. Oh, i got to see this. Great. Oh, God. Oh, national well, tragedy is funny. <laughs> what are we bringing to the table tonight? Actually, before we get started, I, I've got to give a quick uh, shout out to uh, my buddies at Heroes Corner. Y'all need to go over and download. They they have a newsletter that they put out on their site um, from time to time. And in the latest uh, newsletter that they did, they actually published a letter that I sent to them a while back. They were they were soliciting oh. comments from their subscribers about the the black lantern rings that they sent out to people you know with their subscriptions and i got a black lantern ring and i had a little goofy story that i thought they might kind of find humorous or whatever and they ended up publishing it in their magazine but what was really awesome was you know i got i got an email back from them once i sent them my my story and i i didn't think much of it i thought well this is kind of funny they might get a kick out of it kind of thing and they emailed me back like the very next day they're like Hey, this story is really funny. You know, we want to run it in our newsletter kind of thing. I was like, sure. Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. And, uh, you know, they were like, hey, do you mind if we plug your show? I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I'd pay you to plug the show. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so they, you know, they promised they were going to run it and everything. And then a couple of months went by and I never heard anything. So I sent him an email out of the blue and I was just curious. I was like, uh, I think I missed your newsletter. You know, I, ne- I never got it. You know, you guys are going to publish a, a, a letter that I sent. You know, I just want to make sure that I don't miss it. And, uh, and then I got this nice letter back from them saying, oh, gee, you know, we're really sorry. We fell behind on the newsletter. They'd had all these things go on. Like a couple of guys got like seriously sick and stuff. And all this, uh, they had all this drama go on at their, at their company. So they gave you the and... whole sob story? That's <laughs> well, cool. No, I mean, I, no, I, mean I, I totally believed, you know, what was, what was going on or whatever. But, they, you know, they promised they hadn't forgot about it or whatever. And not long after that, they ended up publishing the uh, the newsletter, and it's on their site now. You can download it. But what was really cool was I was just simply inquiring. I was just curious. You know, I wanted to make sure I hadn't missed it. And uh, they ended up sending me like a like a coupon code where I could put it in. I got like a, a free comic. It was like a here, you know, we're sorry, you know, here have a free comic on us kind of thing. I thought that was totally awesome. I was like, hey, you know, I you know I wasn't looking for anything. I just wanted to you know see if my letter ever got published. But I just thought that was really cool of them to uh, you know to throw that I out there. Like, I thought you I mean, hated. I thought you hated free comics. Hell no, I don't. Did, hate are you free the one comics. who always says you hate free comics? No, that must be no, somebody I'm, else. I'm, <laughs> not me, man. Oh, yeah. So that was it was totally cool, and uh, 
got my uh, my newest shipment of comics um, last, uh, a couple of days ago. So still loving that service, man. I'm going to keep talking them up. I'm hoping that they'll eventually uh, maybe want to want to work out some sort of sponsorship type of thingy, you know. But <laughs> whether they do or not, I'm going to talk them up because I want to see more people uh, switch over to their service. They really have a a good quality service. I enjoy them a lot. They always take good care of me at that place, and I like them. I'll talk to you about that later, Scott. Well, you know, maybe the um, maybe the the dead puppy that I mailed them is a sort of quote unquote reminder to publish your. Your letter and plug the show might have helped a little bit too. You know, let's give credit where credit's due. The, the horse head, yeah, exactly. The the owner of wakes up in the morning. Bah! It's his like, yeah, it's his pet Shetland pony. No, Dude, you just need you... a new fan or something. Your fan in the background is like seriously making a, a racket. Oh, I'm using it to grind up salad. I'm making salad fixings oh, with it. <laughs> I'm having a nice salad with this podcast, and I needed some okay. bacon bits. I just thought I'd mention it because I'm hearing <laughs> that squeakity squeakity in the background there. You guys need to get off your asses, and you need to oh, watch yeah. Superman, Batman, Public Enemies, the the animated movie that just came out not long ago. And uh, I've been meaning to get to this for a while, and I, I, I keep putting it off and putting it off, but I, I just wanted to throw it out there. I, I did watch it. I actually watched it when it came out. I, I rented it from the Red Box. It's fantastic. It, it's really, really good. I know that there's been some mixed reviews out there about it and stuff, but, uh, man, it was really, really good. I mean, it's it's not a terribly deep story. You know, there's no you know great meaning to it or anything like that. It's, it's not that kind of a story. It's just an all-out action movie with Superman and Batman. I got the biggest kick out of it. I thought it had really, really good animation. You know, the story, you know, what there was of the story was really good. The voice acting is really great. I mean, they got everybody, everybody that was involved with the uh, the the DCAU when it was out originally, the like the Superman Batman stuff original. Uh, they got all those voices back. So you know, it's Kevin Conroy as Batman, and Tim Daly's back as Superman. Clancy Brown as Lex Luthor, and possibly a couple other ones in there. I'm forgetting. But it was just really solid. But what I liked about it was all the cameos. I mean, if you're a DC Comics kind of guy, especially, you know, current stuff going on with DC and you know, you know, your your obscure villains and your obscure, you know, second, you know, B-list characters and stuff like that, the heroes, it's just chock full of all kinds of, of little cameos and nods and asides to different characters and stuff. I got the biggest kick out of it. I thought it was really a, a pretty faithful adaption of the story, you know, that, that it was pulled out of, which is like the first several issues of the of the superman batman title but uh i really highly recommend it i I got a real big kick out of it chris johnson tells me i'm nuts he didn't like it for whatever reason but nah what the hell does he know he likes that grant morrison shit so watch it it was good run it enjoy it it's on my netflix queue there you go as soon as I send the things back tomorrow it'll be probably here on tuesday or wednesday and you'll probably hear the excitement (laughs) <laughs> are since you're pretty close to me so uh yeah yeah you need I'm, to let me know what you i'm anxious to know what you think of it because i got a big kick out see it's hard i want to spoil it but i don't want to spoil it because to me there was there was a moment i waited for through the entire movie because i remembered this mo- this moment from the storyline because i actually enjoyed that storyline a lot when that when that book started it was oh, really me too. Good. 
And there was a moment I remembered from the comic. And I kept thinking, maybe they don't have the rights to this character in animation right now or whatever. Maybe there's some sort of deal. This this character's probably not going to show up. And I kept waiting, and I kept waiting, and I kept waiting, and it got to pretty close to the end of the movie, and I thought, well, shit, that, I guess they That's didn't, that. they aren't going to do it. And then the character shows up, and it was the fucking awesome moment of the movie. It was like, oh, yeah! I mean, it was just, I, was a, I was such a kid watching that. I was, like, jumping up and down on the couch. I was like, yeah, there he is, there he is! I was all excited. I was like, go get him! Beat the shit out of him! And, you know, I was just freaking out, man. It was really, really cool. I mean, if you're, if you're into that kind of thing geek wise you know where you get so excited over a particular character or a particular classic fight or something like that then then this is totally your movie because i i thought it was really cool i, I really loved the animation in it and uh, Super- the soundtrack was fantastic in it, the score in it superman batman saved me in like 2003 because i'm gonna try to put this as delicately as possible the superman books had turned into a big steaming pile of shit oh yeah uh, around that time and it's like that book hit and suddenly it was like all was well again and and that's all i needed was, was just okay superman batman it's okay that all that all could suck you can you can take that surreal shit and you know yeah i was just gonna ask you is that around the time that they had like surreal and the mcdaniel mm-hmm. art oh yeah god damn those books were terrible during that mm-hmm. period because I, I brief i briefly dropped Superman during that period and and read it strictly through the the downloaded you know like CBRs and stuff because I was like I just can't buy this fucking shit but I I wanted to keep up with the story and then it uh shortly after that was when they had I was going to say a soft reboot it wasn't really a reboot they just changed the teams up mm-hmm. you know on on all the books and like Burn came back on one and uh, it was like Austin and somebody on another book and Rucka and somebody on another book and man then it got good again I thought but yeah there was that that dark period for about a year and a half where man those all three titles were just fucking horrible for a while that was my Vietnam that's the thing that you know when (laughs) I hear a car when I hear a car backfire I hit the ground and have flashbacks of fucking uh, Joe Casey writing Adventures of Superman and wanting to, to cry and curl up in a fetal position until my wife comes and gets me so <laughs> it was horrible too. He's he's not exaggerating. <laughs> yeah, you you could actually spend months in a VA clinic getting over that shit. It I can I can see that. To the heart of darkness. <laughs> Marlon Brando showed up. It was really weird. Yeah, oh, Dennis man. Hopper was there. Dialectic <laughs> logic, man. You either love someone or you hate somebody, man. <laughs> Hey, I mentioned Chris Johnson a moment ago, and uh, man, he's been he's been the little instigator with me lately. He got problem? me. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. He he needs more podcasts to be on or I something. Guess. But he's he's just got to come over here and stir shit with this one. But uh, no, he was uh, he was encouraging me the other day. I made a comment on uh, one of our recent episodes about you know having an interest in covering some of the DCAU titles. You know uh, that that I'd collected just about everything that was out there for those books. And only ever read a little bit of it and you know, would actually like to get into it more seriously and actually talk about it on the show. And I just want to throw it open to the listeners if they'd be interested in something like that. You know, would you actually want to hear reviews of, you know, the, the DCAU books starting with like Batman Adventures, you know, if that was of interest to anybody? Because I'm thinking about it. I might actually start doing that either 
in these regular Comics Monthly Monday episodes or, or elsewhere. But yeah, I, I actually have an interest in that because that's stuff I read recently for the Mask of the Phantasm shows that we did. That one story arc I read in Batman Adventures, man, that was good. It was really a solid story. You know, like I said at the time, the, the Phantasm appearance in it didn't amount to much, but the, the rest of the story, you know, that took place around her appearance was just fantastic. So, I mean, if, if the whole runs like that, I'm itching to get back to it. I thought it was really solid. Well, I've been meaning to ask this of the listenership, too, and it's about that time of year. Write your letters to Santa Claus, send them into Two True Freaks. We have a direct line to Santa Claus, so write Two True Freaks as if we were Santa Claus and tell us what you want. Oh, I know what I want. It's, it's what Scott wanted last year. I want Linda Carter. Linda Carter. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have her. She's mine. <laughs> Maybe when I'm done with her, you can borrow her for a while. Oh, God. <laughs> so, somewhere, sometime, we got to organize some, you know, humongous pay-per-view geek fight. Where all the nerds that want Linda Carter come out and they fight until till one stands. <laughs> and she's got to do think, it with the guy then, that's left? Well, then they do a reality show together or some stupid shit like that. I, that's about <laughs> probably all you could s- swindle out of that, you know. You get to bait to her behind glass well, or I, something. I, I, yeah, I mean, what are you gonna what are you gonna do to make Linda Carter want to do that? You know. <laughs> All right, we have this show. You're gonna have sex with the one nerd that survives. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Really? Oh, come on. She can't be that busy. <laughs> Meanwhile, Scott's on his treadmill, He's got a treadmill every day. <laughs> <laughs> kill, Hearts on kill, fire kill. from Rocky Fulker is playing in the background. <laughs> and, and in, the, in front of him, he's got a video screen with the Dark Knight on it. And he's just like, ah, <laughs> kill them all. When will this walk out of Thunderdome? <laughs> you guys Who runs <laughs> Barter Town? <laughs> All right. Well, I got a couple other comics I want to talk about, and uh, and we need to uh, we need to make our guest serve his purpose. This is this is what I brought him in for on this is the the <laughs> expert opinion on what's going on. Yeah, that's it. Time to earn your pay. Damn it. The, as the as the expert's second opinion on on current goings on in the the DC universe, I'm going to talk about some comics that I just read very very recently. Uh, read that as like today before the show um some comments some dcs i've been meaning to catch up on the first one i want to talk about and this one won't take long believe me was justice league of america number 38 this was the uh the most recent issue and i bought this for two reasons for one there was a whopping huge discount on it through heroes corner I forget exactly what it was. I'm, I'm thinking like 75 cents or a dollar or something like it. it was one of those, you know, jump on now special type of deals. And because it was the first issue by James Robinson, you know, he's the new writer on Justice League of America. I have the highest regard for James Robinson because he, of course, wrote Starman, which is, you know, the book I probably consider like the best comic series that was ever written. It was just fan fucking tastic. Really, really good stuff. Really good read. And uh, he won me over in that series. So I was curious to check this out. Although I have to admit, most everything I've read of James Robinson post-Starman has really left me wanting. I have not been impressed. 
So anyway, I sat down, I read this today and uh, I got to say, wow, it was fucking boring. Not anything happened in this issue. I mean, it was how many pages is this damn thing? And I got to find this out. Let me tell you here. How many pages this thing was? If there's, was it 23? <laughs> I mean, do you agree, Michael, that really nothing happened in this issue? His run on this book has been touted to the hills. And what I expected is that I was going to get number 38 because the, all the ads in the DC books had that cover where it's the new lineup, which I think of as the Avengers in the, in the DC universe mm-hmm. with the characters they have chosen. And that wasn't on the cover. So I'm like, why did you advertise one image and give me another one? I start reading it and I was a very big fan of young justice, which was a book that Peter David and Todd knock did, or however you pronounce that man's last name. Right. Uh, back starting in 98, it was, it was the junior justice league. It was Superboy. It was wonder girl. It was impulse. It was uh Robin, and I love this book. I collected from issue one to issue 54. I was dedicated. And one of the big members of that team was Red Tornado. He was their mentor. He was the one that served over them and kind of helped them through the rough times. And on uh, after that initial scene with Blue Jay, which went nowhere, which I'm sure will get cleared up in like two years because that's how DC runs nowadays. <laughs> but uh, they're talking about they're in the secret sanctuary in Happy Harbor. Right. And they're like, well, yeah, the original League was here, and Doom Patrol was here, and Young Justice was here. And Red Tornado says, Young Justice, I almost forgot about them, and I was a member. Ha, 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 ha. And right there, I wanted to punch James Robinson dead in the face. Because <laughs> I hate when people posture like that. And that's a writer posturing. That's a writer trying to gain goodwill with new readers by having – by making fun of an older concept. And I fucking hate that in a comic book and Despero shows up and there's nothing, there's nothing to this book. And then it ties into blackest night. (laughs) (laughs) I I got this thinking that this was going to be a fresh start. You know, the way I read it was that it was, it was being touted as we know justice league of America sucks we're going to put this guy on it and it's going to be awesome now. So go ahead. This is your jumping on point. You know, that's basically the way it was solicited. And I read this thinking, wow, I don't know what the hell is going on with any of this. I mean, not only was it, you know, save for plastic, man, I didn't give a shit about any of the characters that were in this book, but it almost felt like the cleanup issue from what was left over from whoever the hell was writing this book before Robinson took over. Which Plastic is not what I wanted again, to read. <laughs> I, you know, I really wanted to to get a fresh first issue. You know that that this was going to be the big kickoff. You know, to to you know the greatness that was going to be his run. And I, I'm not feeling it, man. So I'd already, you know, I only picked it up because it was on sale. I didn't intend to get the book anyway, but. Uh, you know, I'm I I could be swayed if it had been awesome. I'd be like, all right, well, I'm gonna have to buy this book now. But pff, not interested. Here's another problem: they reference a, they reference the ending to a story that is three months away from being over. 
Because all of this spills out of uh, Robinson's Cry for Justice miniseries, which is going on right now, that right. has three more issues to it. But now I know what happens to Vixen. I know what happens to Plastic Man. And I know what happens to Dr. Light. And it's like, are you kidding me? Is that really how you're going to run your comic book company? Oh, okay. See, I hadn't read any of that. So, so this actually spoils that. Yeah, a little bit, yes. Well, that's... And it's the second God. time this title has done that. That's and amazing. I really wish DC would get their shit together. Isn't he even writing that book? Isn't yeah, he he's writing, writing that? that book. Yes, he is. So he's spoiling his, his own other project. Mm-hmm. That makes no sense whatsoever at all. Well, on the flip side, I'm going to go from something that I thought sucked to something that is just absolutely awesome that you really should be reading. And that is secret six. Now you, you said you've been reading this uh, title up till recently. I'm a couple months behind, but yes, I, uh, uh, the comic shop owner or the, one of the managers at the comic shop I go to gave me three cop, three issues saying you need to read this and you need to put it on your poll list. And uh, I just, I've just missed out on the last two issues, but I'm, I was very impressed. I loved it. I like Gail Simone in general. So. Yeah. It, it, this is, I'm enjoying this so much. And, and part of this, uh, the, the issues I'm looking at, the issues I sat down and read today were uh, 10 through 14, 14 being the most current issue. And there's one more issue to go that wraps up this storyline that's going on right now. It's a, a, what is this, six part? Yeah, six part crossover. Or, I mean, a six part uh, uh, story arc, rather. But there, there's a, I don't know if it's a crossover or if it's just a guest appearance, but Wonder Woman turns up during the course of this story. Mm -hmm. Basically, the the Secret Six are hired for a job without really knowing what the job is. And then they they go to this secret island type of thing. And it ends up what it is, is they're there as enforcers on an island that is enslaving people to, what are they? They're building something, like some friggin' monument. I, I... I can't remember what the, the what the overall thing was that the slaves were actually being used for, but that that part of the story is actually not terribly important. What it is is the the team's reaction when they find out what they're there for, because this is a team. You know, the Secret Six. If you don't know, they're a team of villains. You know, they've got uh, where they got they got Bane, Catman, Doll, uh, the what is he Ragdoll, Deadshot, uh-huh. um, Vandal Savage's daughter, and then this new character who turns out spoiler alert by the way she turns out to be the new silver banshee and it's really really awesome you know they're they're just a team of freaks that are just kind of thrown together but they're really cool and what what was really great about this story arc so far was they get to this island they find out exactly what they're there for and about half the team is absolutely fucking repulsed by this idea. And the other half of the team is like, what's the problem? It's money, you know? And they don't care that they're basically being used to control a bunch of slaves that have been brought there against their will. And it was really great. It ends up splitting the team and you, you finally start to, to get a feel for who is who and what side they're on and how much their friendship and loyalty means or doesn't mean to them and that sort of thing. And it really examines the team dynamic because up to this point, you really felt like these characters were finally pulling together as a cohesive unit. Suddenly that 
is, you know, their, their feet are put to the fire and it's, it's all tested. Their loyalties are all extremely tested in this story arc. And it was really fantastic. But what else was cool with it is uh, one of the uh, slaves turns out to be Artemis. And of course, through the course of the story, Wonder Woman shows up and she's fucking pissed. Yes. And there's a great last issue or, you know, last page of one of the issues where she shows up looking like she's ready to just kick some serious ass. And she's like, okay, who did this to my sister? And you're like, oh, no, there's a serious beatdown coming along. And I loved the way that uh, that Simone wrote Wonder Woman in these issues. And I got to thinking, I think she's the writer on Wonder Woman right now. And so now I'm curious, I might actually check out Wonder Woman again for the first time since Perez left the book. You know, how long ago was that? Like 20 years ago. So. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I loved when, when Perez was doing Wonder Woman. That was the first time in my life I was actually unashamed to say, hey, I, you know, I'm a dude and I'm reading Wonder Woman. You know, before that, pff, hell no, I would have never said that to nobody. But, you know, if, if she's doing Wonder Woman half as well as she's doing Secret Six, I might actually have to check that out because, damn, I love this book. It's really, really good. She's pretty deep into her run. So you might want to buy some trades. Have you read any of that stuff? Unfortunately, no, because my comic book money is very slim as of late. Oh, uh, I, I haven't there. I haven't been able to pick up Wonder Woman because I got I got burned on Wonder Woman because I I stuck with it through that freaking reboot back after Infinite Crisis and I and I bought all of Amazon's Attack and I want to kind of like burn myself with a cigarette lighter from a car because it was that fucking bad. I mean, it's just, I cut myself to feel, I guess is, is, is my summation on that, but just, <laughs> but just, you know, they, they turned her back to like Diana Prince, super secret agent and yeah, bore me to freaking tears. You know, it's like, I'm glad you all grew up in the seventies. I was born in the seventies. I grew up in the eighties. I remember all that shit too. I don't need it in my fucking comics right now. And uh, I don't mean to be so hostile, but DC has just got me so upset lately. You are. You're, uh, you're, you're very hostile. I love it because now I'm, I'm like the mellow guy in this episode. It's fucking awesome, man. I go run with it. Yeah, right. I'm you, you like take, positively comatose compared to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Froth away, guys. You have to have Michael on more often just to take the fucking heat off of me. I'm loving yeah, this. Yeah, no shit. But See, it's I, just – I seem positively like like – glowing and Pollyanna compared to compared to Michael. He's he's pissed off, man. I love it. <laughs> I'm gonna send you shitty DC books now just to fucking work you up. Hey Mike, here's Amazon's attack. God damn it. You know <laughs> okay, I'll make you a deal, Scott. I'll sit down and read Amazon's attack while you sit down and watch Dark Knight again. Not gonna then, fucking happen, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> See, uh, the only way I'm going to sit down and watch that movie again is if I end up strapped in a chair like McDowell in uh, in uh, Clockwork Orange, Clockwork Orange, you know, where my fucking eyes are propped open with toothpicks and shit. And I'm screaming there going, it's a sin. When you become become famous, you can do it for charity. No. Yeah. People people can people can donate, you know, how many per minute, you know, and you'll just we'll just time you to see how long you can do it before you like. 
not gonna not gonna tear happen. your eyes out. They they could bring in a busload of of widows and orphans and say, okay, we're gonna machine gun them all down if you don't watch this movie again. I'd be <laughs> like, oh, that's bad, man, because there's more widows and orphans somewhere in the world. It's it's all right. I'm good what with if they it. Tell you, you can have sex with uh, Linda Carter, no strings attached. <laughs> can I have my can I have my my MP3 player while I watch it? No. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get a, you don't you, yeah you don't get to uh, you don't get to add anything to that that demo. No, no, and you can't fuck her while watching it either. No. So it's not, oh, that would sort of ruin it, I think, for him. I don't think that yeah. would be his ideal yeah, situation. But screw thinking about baseball. He'd be good the entire two hours. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you guys drive a hard bargain. I don't know about that one. <laughs> I thought so. Well, you know, you were you 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 had the perfect segue for me, which was you know you were talking about how how tight your your comic dollar is, and believe me, I feel that I'm down literally. I need to one of these days. I need to compile a list. You know what? Let me see. I might actually have my list right here, and I could actually tell you what you windowed down to. Yeah, let me let, give me just a moment because I've been meaning to do this on the show for a while, and I'm going to go ahead and just. Spill the beans because I know I have a list. Because this is what I use. Yeah, here we go. Here, here is drum roll, please. Here is the list of what Scott is getting currently, and it's considering that there was a time when I bought every fucking thing that was on the rack. This is actually pretty sad. I am buying back issue magazine, which only comes out. What is that? Like quarterly or something like that? Bi monthly. Is it bi monthly? Check out okay. issue 35. I got an article in it. Okay. Oh, do you really? Mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic. I'll be looking forward to that then. Uh, Green Lantern, Green Lantern Core, Jonah Hex, which is my number two book. People buy Jonah Hex. God damn it, it's a good book. I'm, I'm telling you, you'll like it. Get over your fucking prejudices about it being a Western. You'll like Jonah Hex. It's a damn, it's a good book. You got to be buying it. It's the number two book I'm getting. JS, uh, Justice Society of America, Secret Six, uh, anything Star Trek, like classic Star Trek that John Byrne is doing for IDW, I'm making the commitment, man. I don't, I don't care if he's writing issues about Tribbles and Chirons. I'm, yeah. I'm reading that shit because it's, oh, it's anything he's writing for Star Trek is really, really good right now. Um, Star Wars: The Clone Wars, The Walking Dead, and then. Uh, Whenever they put out Star Wars, uh, the, like those little digest trade things, Dark Horse puts those out. I've been buying those. They've been really good. They, they started a new series called Star Wars Adventures. And uh, li- listen in the future on our Star Star Wars Monthly Monday. I'll be talking about a couple that I just read. They're really good. But uh, I'll just let you know. They're they're fantastic. They're, they're like those ones that they were putting out for Clone Wars, you know, in that animated style. But they take place during the original trilogy timeline. So it's that kind of uh, of art style, but applied to like, well, so far they had a Han story and they had a Princess Leia story. And they were really, really good. I get Superman Chronicles and Batman uh, Chronicles when they publish new uh, new trades of those. They're, they're well worth the money. They're really, really good, especially if you can get them discounted. You know, it just sweetens the deal that much more. They're also uh, – Dark Horse is doing uh, Indiana Jones Adventures, which again is you know one of those little digest-sized trades drawn in like the Mike Parabek, you know, animated type style. 
And that is it. That is all I'm getting. I keep an eye out in case they might ever put out... um, There's supposed to be a new Planet of the Apes project coming at some point that's based on the original Planet of the Apes universe, not, not the Tim Burton apes. Whenever that comes along, I'm going to check that out. I don't know if I'll buy it yet, but I'm going to check it out just to see what it's all about. And then uh, I keep waiting for something further with Tron. You know, there, there was a, a Tron mini. Right. I think it was a six-issue mini a, a couple of years back. And I keep thinking that maybe they're going to pick that up and do something more with it. But so far, I haven't seen anything. But that is pretty much it. So, you know, I, I'm down to to that little bit and that takes my my comic budget right there even with that little bit but even with just those few titles i'm still always looking for wiggle room in case you know something comes along that that i think might be worth checking out and this next title i want to talk about real quick (laughs) i'm telling i'm just going to be honest it's on the chopping block with me um i'm not giving it much longer to get better before uh, I, I might have some room to check out something different out there in the in the comic universe, because this is the new creative team on Justice Society of America. Um, I just read today issues twenty nine through thirty two, thirty two being the the most current issue I've got um, by Bill Willingham and uh, is it Matthew Sturgis, yes. the artist. All right, it's not that it's it's not like horrible or anything, but you know, it just I'm just not feeling it. It's it's just kind of blah. I mean, what what is your reaction to this, Michael? Did did you dig it or or what are you thinking about it? The thing about Justice Society that I have liked for the past 10 years literally since that book started coming out back, you know, when it was JSA is that even when it kind of got dark, it was still a very uplifting type of book. And right. when I say uplifting, I don't mean like up with people, let's all buy the world a Coke and teach them to sing and crap like that. But, you know, it was Jay, it was Alan, and it was Ted teaching the new kids the ropes and fighting evil. And now that creeping cynicism that has been flooding DC since Identity Crisis came out. Uh, has finally hit the Justice Society, and most of this, uh, most of these issues are Magog wanting to start some shit with the league, complaining uh, the society, excuse me, complaining about how they do things, all to set up the second book, right? And that's all he's doing. That's all they're doing here. This is this story was supposed to be like their big thing on the Justice Society, and I feel like I'm getting an advertisement for JSA All-Stars, which is coming out in, like, November or December or something. Yeah, that's uh, where this is headed, is toward that schism in the team that's going to create the other title, right? Yeah, and Justice Society doesn't need a schism in it. This isn't the freaking Justice League where you can kind of have that sort of thing. Right. So there's going to be people that disagree within the Justice League on how to how to do it. The Justice Society should be that rock-solid family book. Well... Uh, like Like we were talking about earlier today. Well, you and I, this is this is the point where I'm going to spill. By, by now, the episode is probably up, but uh, in case it's not or, or whatever, or in case you, you haven't heard and you, you haven't checked it out yet, 
Um, Michael and I have started a new show. It's called Tales of the Justice Society of America, in which we're starting at All Star Comics number fifty-eight, and we're going to be reviewing the the history of the Justice Society in order, starting with that book. And that's one of the points that I made when we recorded our first episode today was that that's what I really love most about the Justice Society is that it is a family title. And I don't mean it's like family friendly. What I mean is that the characters don't so much feel like a baseball team like the Justice League do. They feel like a family unit. It's almost like the Waltons of comic books. And I love that. I love that feel that that they don't just feel like a bunch of freaks that got thrown together. They feel like a a family unit that came together to fight crime, no matter how diverse they may be. You know, one guy's got a magic ring and one guy runs real fast and one person's from another planet and that sort of thing. But they still all come together and, and have that family feel. And so I agree with you that, you know, schisms don't really play in a book like this. Plus the fact, even if that did, Jesus Christ, do you really need, you know, four or five, six issues to tell a story that you could really tell in one? You know, some characters get pissed off, they split off, they form their own team. Why why the hell do you need six issues to tell that? That's a little ridiculous, I think. I mean, I really also hate seeing a writer's thought process play out on the page. (laughs) Right. Because because I get the feeling that Bill Willingham and Matthew Surge just sat down, looked at the Justice Society from a writing standpoint and said, well, here are the problems within it and here are the realistic things we can do. And then you kind of see that play out in the dialogue. Right. And I hate it when it's that transparent. It's like it should be more subtle. It should be It should be played a little better than just using... I mean, writers use the characters to mouth their ideas in general. But when it's that freaking apparent, it just puts me off. It really does. (laughs) Art's good. Absolutely. Yeah. The art is really good. I I like that. I think summarizing on this, I think probably my biggest problem with it is that the team has finally got to a, a size. There are so many members on this team now that they've they've actually got to a size where they're big enough to they finally have characters that I don't like, which was never a problem before. They kept adding all these legacy heroes, and I'm a sucker for legacy heroes. I like legacy characters. And so, you know, they kept bringing in, you know, these these sons and daughters and relatives or whatever of all these classic heroes, and I was really loving it. But then they hit a point at, at some point where the last several that they brought in have just been, for one reason or another, either they were lame or they were annoying or they were like, God, what is the point of this guy or whatever. And now they actually have several characters that I could easily see catch a bullet and not, not be upset. The, the biggest one being Magog. What what the fuck purpose does this guy serve? I really got his don't own like this. Now. Yeah, who the hell's reading that? I, I just I don't get it. You know, this was a throwaway character from that stupid Kingdom Come thing, and now he's part of the mainstream DC universe, and he's on the Justice. So how the hell does that all? I just 
I really don't like that. I hate when they do stuff like that. You know, they, they have a little flash in the pan success with something. And then all of a sudden they have to go and retool all their books to fall in line with that. That shit drives me crazy. So, you know, I'm not horribly down on this title, but at the same rate, I did what a lot of people didn't do. I stuck with it after John's left, which, you know, mm-hmm. I, I heard most people say, well, that's it. I'm, I'm done with Justice Society when he left. You know, they quickly abandoned ship. I stuck around because I was curious. I, I really liked the team. I, I liked where things were going. But, you know, I think I'm going to give it to the end of this story arc. And if it doesn't vastly improve really, really fast, then I think I just might be done with this title for a while because I just don't have the money to continue to buy something that's, frankly, just kind of boring. Yeah, I, I think... I think... <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you, sir. Well, you want to go to break on that? Well, note? I'd say that's a nice positive note to go to break, and we'll be back with some swamp thing. <laughs> they are the first and best team of mystery men ever to assemble for the cause of justice. The heroes that have been part of their ranks are legendary. They fight for America and for democracy, and yet no one has devoted a podcast to their exploits. Until now. Unfortunately, it's hosted by these guys. I don't care what Julia Schwartz says. Yeah, League sounds like a baseball team. I hate baseball. So, there you go. Um, First F-bomb of the show. Um, How did you beat me to the first F-bomb of the show? (laughs) Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey present... Tales of the Justice Society of America. Fridays at two true freaks. The Saga of the Swamp Thing. Okay, we are back, and this is the Saga of the Swamp Fang. This is the December 1982 issue, cover on it by uh, Tom Yates. Pretty cool cover, really. It's uh, Swamp Thing. He's got that amulet that uh, Casey gave him around his neck, and he's traveling through a a dense jungle setting with Liz, and you can see what looks like uh, Skull Island from King Kong in the background with all these... uh, Oh, I thought what you were going to say you could see Liz's boobies. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's about fairly prominently displayed, yes. Headlight cover. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are those things? Ter- ter- pterodactyls, is that what they're called? Flying around in the background? If that's what you want to call them. Whatever they I are. I think they're called pterodons now. I think that's the official. Yeah, they keep changing. Leave the friggin' dinosaur names alone. Stop changing them. I just get used to one and they change it to something else. Like Brontosaurus. Nobody says Brontosaurus anymore. Now it's like, what is it? Brachiosaurus or something. Anyway, this one is written again by Marty Pascal. And, you know, I had just given Marty Pascal a pass not long ago. And now I might have to take that pass back away. Um, the art chores in this one handled again by, uh, by Tom Yates. You know, I'm almost wondering if it's even worth doing the breakdown for this issue, but here I'll just do the quick and dirty breakdown for this issue. 
All right, Swamp Thing, as you'll remember, at the end of the last issue, wound up unconscious on basically what looked like Dinosaur Island. He wakes up and he finds himself face to face with a T-Rex. And uh, meanwhile, Liz and uh, and what, what's the dude's name? Dennis. Dennis, thank you. Liz and Dennis wake up in another section of the same island on the beach and they're surrounded by like the uh the native the the savage natives of the island so swamp thing fights the dinosaur takes it out and he goes wandering about trying to figure out what's up with this crazy island that he's on liz and dennis uh do basically the same sort of thing they uh they try to escape from the natives that are trying to capture them and uh Dennis attacks one of the natives, knocks him down, and the guy quickly turns into a skeleton. Swamp Thing and Dennis... uh, Well, what happens to Liz? Liz gets captured and put onto an altar. And Swamp Thing and Dennis, you know, they're they're in separate adventures in separate areas of the island, but they're both basically experiencing the same thing, which is they keep finding themselves in scenes from classic movies. And so Liz is strapped to an altar, Fay Ray style, as a giant ape, you know, clearly King Kong. And this is one of the things that drove me crazy about this issue is Swamp Thing's having a, a moment where he says, oh, this is all very familiar. And I remember seeing a movie like this where, you know, this woman got strapped to this altar and, oh yeah, it was about a giant ape. And I'm thinking, come on, you know, it's King Kong. Really? I mean, they can't just come right out and say King Kong. Is there some Maybe sort of not. rights thing? Yeah, there I, is. I guess. But then why do it then? If you can't come out and say it's King Kong and it's clearly him because it, it's drawn the frame of, you know, the panel of, of Kong coming out in this one panel is clearly a frame right from the movie. It's so photo-referenced, it's ridiculous. Same thing happens with Dennis. He wanders into this mansion and stumbles into a scene from Citizen Kane. Yet, all he says is, it's it's like something right out of that movie. Well, you know, what movie? I mean, would a, would a kid know what movie this is that they're talking about? You know, you and I do, because we know about movies, but... You know, what, a young kid reading this book back in the 80s, would they know what the hell movie this is he's talking about? We get a little scene with uh, with Casey. She's at the airport with Paul. He finally manages to break away from her. He's had enough of, of hanging around this creepy girl. And by the way, she's growing at like a, like a weird rate. All of a sudden, she's like... Pre-teen. She looks like she's, yeah, like pre-teen age. So she's actually been maturing. Tween. Or, yeah, over the course of these issues, she's gone from being a little girl of like five or six to where she looks like she's like 13 or so. And uh, as he breaks away and comes running towards um, towards Dr. K and that, uh, that creepy looking dude, he actually bursts into flames. We cut back to Swamp Thing and he's wandering around through basically just movie set after movie set. He wanders from King Kong to... New York City, eventually to uh, to the bar, you know, to Rick's bar in uh, in Casablanca, and it's there where we finally get the story. Dennis starts to piece some of this together because he actually recognizes the name of one of the the people that are that are on this island, and it turns out that they are Vietnam vets that were exposed to some chemical back during the time when they were in Vietnam. That Agent somehow, Blue, man. Agent Blue. Man, 
Jesus. Yeah, yeah, Agent Blue. And it somehow altered their body chemistry type of thing. And they wound back up, you know, they wound up back in the world. They were, you know, like most Vietnam vets, they they couldn't adapt. They had, you know, people spitting on them and calling them baby killers and all this crazy stuff. They ended up re-upping because they didn't have much of a life in the real world. And as they were on a ship headed back to, where was it, like the, the Caribbean or somewhere, Puerto Rico or something, the ship went down, but instead of dying, they, they discovered that they had powers to where they could make physical objects out of thin air, literally out of thin air, out of nothing at all. And so they forged this island for themselves out of the power of their own minds. And they've created for themselves basically an amusement park based on their memories of all these beloved movies to where they just live there and basically live in a fantasy world. So basically they're, they're living in like universal studios that they created out of their mind on this Island. Right. So at the end of the story, Liz goes on a tirade and calls them, you know, they're a bunch of fucking cowards because they couldn't deal with, you know, the real world and what the hell did they volunteer to go to Vietnam for? And she really goes off on them. And, you know, I'm just, I can't pull punches on this. This reads like, I'm sorry, Marty Pascal, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. I mean, these (laughs) Vietnam guys went through some shit. And this really reads very fucking condescending to these people, you know, about it, it really. Well, Dennis it, sort of calls her on it after that. He you're right. Yeah, you're it. right. He does. Yeah, he does tell her that basically she doesn't know what the hell she's talking about at the end of the You're right. I forgot about that. He, do, he does get on her case about it at the end that, that he, what does he say is, uh, trouble is you don't know when to stop. You almost got us killed. So, yeah, he, he, he does get on her case about it. Well, at the end, they basically come to the realization that she's right. They've been living in a fantasy world, and one of the guys keeps the island together long enough to literally forge a helicopter out of his imagination, and then he dissolves the island, and they all, I guess, die, except for Liz and Swamp Thing and Dennis and oh and the and uh, one of the guys i forgot that one of yeah, the guys actually went with him because he was the guy keeping it because i was like keeping, well, the helicopter keeping the helicopter together yeah. yeah yeah that's what that's where i thought the logic of the story fell apart was i was like wait a minute what's keeping the helicopter together that's right they actually rescue one of the guys so not everybody dies one of them makes it off but the story ends where we basically see the the other the rest of the vietnam uh, vet guys drown and the story ends where we see the image of them drowning suddenly cuts to a movie screen of them drowning saying the end and all these people are leaving the movie and then we finally see the credits for the book you know for this issue on a movie poster so it's like a Casablanca style movie poster but instead of Humphrey Bogart it's Swamp Thing and Liz and all the other characters man I just this issue sucked it's It's beautifully illustrated it's to look at and, it, it and at the beginning it, it tells start tells the story with a small amount of text which is a welcome relief on this book but then it, that doesn't last long and then yeah and then it goes to that ending 
I mean, like Swamp Thing fighting the dinosaur was really, really cool. And I, uh, by the way, I have to say, this was my first time reading this issue. This was one, you know, back in the day when, when Chris and I were literally buying our comics, you know, from like convenience stores and stuff like that off the old spinner racks. Every once in a while, you, you, you just miss out, you know, and maybe they didn't get an issue or maybe you were just too late getting to the store and they, they sold out or whatever. But for some reason, I missed this issue. And uh, so, you know, I, I bought it in the aftermarket. I've had it for years and just never read it. So this was my first time reading it. And uh, wow, what a letdown. I mean, if I had read this as a kid, maybe I'd have fonder memories of it or something. But reading it now for the first time as an adult, I just I, I can't find anywhere to cut it a break. I mean, it really is a just a it's a bad story, I think. Well, it I mean, just doesn't hold up to logic. It's like if these guys can create stuff out of you know thin air what do they need they're saying stuff like well we use the the physical matter from the ship and the people in it to create the people and the well this is a humongous island it's bigger than a hundred or a thousand of their ships you know so how is that working you know It, it just doesn't make sense there's no reason for for there to be reanimated corpses you know they should just be able to make whatever fake people or you know, it just doesn't hold up under its own logic. If it if it, no, it sort of did in its own world, sort of thing, and the whole thing of like Liz pulling a Captain Kirk and just using the powers of logic to completely undo this whole. I mean, you know, they have a whole thing where Swamp Thing fights King Kong and he's in a plane, and then the plane disappears and he's in a helicopter. You know, and they're just toying with him, mm-hmm. and you and you know they're. There's a bar on top of the Universal... Is it the Universal Mountain? The, um, wh- or is it Paramount? Whichever Paramount, yeah, Paramount I think it's Mountain. Paramount, yeah. You know, so there's this whole intricate thing, and all she has to do is give them a very standard sort of, you know, takedown that they've probably heard a bunch of times in their lives, and then all of a sudden, yes, our will's broken, the, and the whole island collapses underneath them. <laughs> you know, these guys are, are rough-and-tumble Vietnam survivors, you know, and, right. this, and this reporter lady can just go, you know, you guys are losers, or oh, you're right, okay, we're going to die now. <laughs> uh, it doesn't make, you know, it just, it only is there to serve the story. Well, so, you know, yeah. also, now I realize But it that looks this, pretty. Yeah, it is very beautiful. I mean, I like the art in it. I, got, I have no problems with the art chores at all. It's It's actually one of the better art issues, but, uh. All right, now you know, I realize that this was a DC comic, you know, put out on the newsstand that a kid could grab and read in 1982. But again, using the the logic of the story, as you say, if if you had this superpower to pull shit out of your mind, create it out of whole cloth, you know, you didn't need to to use any raw materials, as you say, you could just create it, and boom, it's there. Why in the hell would you choose to live in Rick's bar in Casablanca? Why wouldn't you live in like deep porno land? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What the <laughs> hell? You know, I mean, seriously. So they, you know, they're they're already losers that are unhappy with life. So they go off to an island and create a loser paradise for themselves, where they can sit around and just be drunk. It's just fucking stupid. I'm sorry, but it was just a bad story. And then. To top it off, to add injury to insult, the Phantom Stranger backup story is the second oh. part of that insipid story with the woman who's paying 
eternal penance for having sent her pussy boyfriend off to war and got him killed. Yep. And this, it's oh my god, it's even worse. This in, in the well, second this one part, just sort of like is like okay, let's end the story. Let's do whatever we gotta <laughs> yes. do to wrap this up. That's exactly how it feels. Well, you know, the the thing that God or whoever that that magical voice, the the voice in the light was, we presumed it was God, gave her the mission that I, I guess you were supposed to have forgotten about between the two issues. She was supposed to go stop a modern day war. That was how she was going to break the the cycle of karma that was going on. So she goes with the Phantom Stranger to this island. And a war is stopped, but she doesn't have a goddamn thing to do with it. It's the Phantom Stranger that stops it because he makes all their bullets ineffectual. So she didn't do anything. And then at the end of it, the the colonel or whoever the hell this guy is that she's met back up with. Now, the Phantom Stranger restores his memory of his past lifetimes and it turns out that he's the guy that she sent off to die in one of, you know, these these other lives that she's been Oh, yeah, paying. of course. Yeah. And so they're walking along together, and, uh, what was it, a grenade or something goes off. He throws himself on top of her, and they both die in an explosion. And that's where it is. And you're like, what? <laughs> it's just a stupid story. It was awful. Oh my God! So uh, this whole issue really has, other than the art in the fa- in the Swamp Thing story, it really has like no redeeming qualities at all, as far as I can see. It was just terrible. Correct, but it has a, a beautiful art and a beautiful cover to it. I love that. I love this cover. Well, you know what's funny too is that I, I got as a kid reading this title, I got the issue before this one and the issue after this one. And I was always able to follow the story and never really felt like I missed anything. And now I see why, because the events in this issue really don't come to be, you know, other than Paul being killed by Casey, there's really not anything that happens in this issue that really lends into the overall arc that we've been following. Oh, yeah. And in the next two issues, you know, they probably show Paul getting burned alive by Casey again. <laughs> right. You know. <laughs> yeah, right. And you're, and you're like four page catch up of prior events from last issue yeah you're right oh my god so sorry about that but uh yeah that issue was kind of a stinker that's about all i got to say too yep oh well we'll be moving up in the world because next comes the walking dead and so far the walking dead has not disappointed did you just yawn no i said (gasps) oh okay you gasped okay better okay no yawning for the the Walking Dead. No, that's, I did not yawn. You no, it's awesome. In the world of the Walking no, I was Dead. just I was waiting for you to conclude because I was going to say, you know, no, I mean, you don't have to worry about Walking Dead. There has not been a bad issue in sixty six issues of that book. There's not been a clunker, so nothing to worry about. So a little spoiler on our critiques, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be right back. Dr. Scott Gardner, podcaster par excellence, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strength that all nerds have. Then, an accidental overdose of common sense alters his body chemistry. And now, when Scott Gardner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. Shock! 
$3.99. Can you fucking believe $3.99 for this shit? For Christ's sakes, I can remember when these friggin' things were 15 The creature is driven by rage and egged on by an instigative co-host. He's got a fat head! You shouldn't like him with a fat head! Creature is wanted for curse words he did not omit. Scott Gardner is believed to be a freak, and he must let the world think that he is a freak until he can find a way to control the raging fanboy that dwells within him. And it's issue number 12 of The Walking Dead. And um, so now we're looking at the next day from the last issue, I'm, I'm assuming. It's it's just sort of uh, one of those issues that sort of has a series of little vignettes. It's morning on the on Herschel's farm and Lori's waking up and she's got morning sickness. Herschel walks into uh, his daughter Maggie's room and finds Glenn sleeping with her. And he flips out, but Maggie says, hey, she's 19 years old, she'll do what she wants, and they're in love, and she didn't want to sleep alone, and her sister just died, and she's never slept alone in the room, so he sort of gives her a pass. Um, so uh, Dale, and <clears throat> pardon, Dale and Andrea have a little moment in the camp- camper. Uh, Alan and Rick are cleaning out the barn so that everybody can sleep in there, and... Uh, Alan says he's going to try to keep it together for his kids, and Rick's pretty happy about that. But then Rick starts thinking about it, and then he decides he's going to ask Herschel if they can stay in the house instead of the barn, you know? It just makes sense because there's room in the house. And Herschel's decidedly against it, and he says um, as soon as Carl heals, as a matter of fact, that they're going to have to move on, you know, that there's not enough food for everybody. So, uh... Then uh, we see Tyrese and Carol are sort of lounging around and becoming a happy couple, and his daughter and uh, her boyfriend are sort of lurking in the next room with their with their guns, looking sinister. Um, then we see Lori, who's found found out that you know they're going to have to move on and they have to stay on the bar. She's pissed. She sort of confronts Herschel and and uh, about this, and he gets really mad, and he's gonna get he's gonna actually hit her and, and Rick sort of jumps in and and uh you know Lori you know says you know Herschel sentenced them all to death by telling them that they're gonna have to leave and uh Herschel gets really pissed pulls a gun and puts it to Rick's head and uh and basically says you know get out and this time it's Otis who sort of jumps in and gets the gun away from Rick and you know, Rick says, fine, we're leaving. So I'm assuming it's the next day or later on, you know, they're getting ready to take off in the camper and they're all loaded up. And uh, Glenn comes out and tells Rick, you know, that he's happier than he's ever been and that he's staying with Maggie. And Rick says, okay, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And so time passes and we see the survivors are just sort of back to their nomadic living foraging for food and fighting zombies and sort of living in the camper and generally being miserable and finally they run out of gas and they all separate to look for food and more gas and Dale and Andrea sort of 
go off in their own little group and they come over a hill and they see something and they hurriedly get everybody else and bring them up to see it. And what it is, it's a huge prison complex surrounded by, you know, three layers of... Surrounded by three layers of barbed wire and, you know, Rick sees that and says, hey, we're home. And that's sort of where this... This one ends. Pretty dramatic issue. As if, yeah, very much so. As if they're not yeah. all pretty much dramatic issues. This one, this one doesn't disappoint. This is one of one of my absolute favorites, if not my favorite issue, um, up to this point because just a lot happens in this one, and it's weird because. You know, there's only one brief token zombie moment in the entire book. The rest of it is all, you know, human drama. It's all conversations. It's all looks and exchanges and worried glances and that sort of thing. But, you know, it, it's all very human. And it, and you know, again, you know, it, it, it really has a real world realistic feel of this is how people talk to each other. It doesn't feel like comic book dialogue. It feels like real human being dialogue, you know, between real people type of dialogue and really impresses me, you know, with the way people react, especially, you know, Herschel, you know, when, when he has made up his mind that, you know, look, you know, I only, I only let you stay here you know, while, while Carl heals, but you know, you're not only are you not moving in, you're moving on, you know, he, he makes no qualms about it that, you know, they're not invited to stay. And I love that, you know, and when, when Lori comes to confront him, I mean, it really he's gets dirty. It. Yeah. He's had yeah, it by it that It really point. gets ugly. And, you know, he, you know, it's so easy to paint him unfavorably in this scene but really when if you look at his dialogue and read everything he's saying i mean he really has a point which is you know he's given so much already you know he he's lost so many members of his family he's got so little left and they're they're more of him you know I, i love that you know he he that he gets to that point in the conversation where he's you know, literally screaming that, you know, I I've lost, you know, all these kids and, and all this stuff has happened to me. You know, what more do you want from me? I don't know you anything. And you want to move right into their rooms. Right. Now, after he pulls the gun on Rick, of course, you know, he ends up, you know, in the next page huddled on the ground with a gun in front of him, you know, and Otis has to sort of come and talk him down, but you know, he's He's very upset. What was that? Michael? I said he's kind of lucky too, because Rick's kid was ready to take him out. Yes, yes. he was ready. He's he's got that gun drawn, and that kid knows as soon as that trigger's pulled, you know, headshot down. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> he's done it. That before, was my too. shit. Uh huh. Yeah. Yes, he has. <laughs> and yeah, he's he's got that. He, he it's funny. He looks like a little Indiana Jones. There, he's got the hat and the. <laughs> Yeah, he sure does. Yeah, he's totally ready to to take him out. You know, we we see him in that frame after Herschel has already, you know, kind of diffused the situation and and made. Did I say Herschel? I meant Otis. Otis. After Otis has already diffused the situation and made Herschel lower his weapon, but I, I imagine 
if we had seen Carl before that point that he's totally ready yeah. to shoot Herschel before that. I almost look at this panel. What kid wouldn't yeah, well, with their dad there? Yeah. And now that now that yeah. he knows how to use a gun? Oh, yeah. Because when I first saw that frame of, of Carl with the gun, I thought he was pulling it. But now I kind of imagine at this point he's he's maybe tucking the gun back in. Yeah. Where he had had it out, fully prepared to use it. So yeah, I, I really liked that. That was that was one of the more dynamic parts of the and, issue. And I nobody felt. really noticed it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Only yeah. us. <laughs> I got to uh, tell you that final scene. Uh, I started picking these up in trade, and I bought the first two the first week I had them because they were so inexpensive. Because uh, Walking Dead trades are like drugs, you know. The first one's really cheap, and then they got you, and you're not letting <laughs> go. And I got to that, I got to that scene where the, uh, you know, where they're, where the, where they see the prison, and I'm like, I've got to wait a week until I can read the next part. Damn it! <laughs> yeah. Son of a bitch. <laughs> well, you know, this was still at a point where. You know, Charlie Adler was still considered fairly new on the book. You know, he'd only been the artist uh, for a little while, you know, having succeeded uh, Tony Moore. And so there was he still had a little bit of that that new guy factor, you know, where we were still getting used to him and still not exactly sure of him, you know, and, and not still, you know, at points, at least when I was reading it, there was still a lot of points where I was like, damn, I wish that Tony Moore was still on here. But that, that picture, that beautiful illustration of them looking over the hill and it's that giant picture of the prison complex laid out on that white snow field is just gorgeous. I mean, it's so well drawn and so beautifully illustrated that it really this this was the point where I started to be won over about Charlie Adler. I mean he really captured just, the feel with of, just the of, random corpses walking around in the courtyard and stuff you know there's just a smattering yeah. of people in the distance just sort of wandering randomly around it it's awesome mm -hmm. and you and you I mean you get the same feeling that they must have when you see that prison there you're just like oh my god that's perfect you know that's that's what and and that's where i started really loving this book too because i was like yes these people aren't going to be the stupid react runaway people they're going to be the all right you know here's a prison you know here's a prison we're mm -hmm. going to act out that you know it's it's a logical it, it would be a logical choice and a smart choice for them to make and this mm -hmm. is this is the beginning of a big story arc too you know a big yep. section in in the in the walking dead and this is a great way to to sort of kick it off cuz you see all just that shot gives you all the potential of what could possibly happen you know what's inside of there you know is it full of corpses of prisoners is it full of prisoners is it empty who you know you can't right you can't tell it just opens up this whole other world of and that's what he he lets you get to a point where you're thinking okay where's this going you know where's this where's where this gonna turn another corner and and what's gonna happen and and it always does into something interesting right 
Well, it, it lends back into something we had said, I, I think, in the last issue or, you know, the last episode about, you know, he keeps setting up these scenarios that in, in a lesser writer's hands, you know, you, 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 you would be tempted to, to reach into the book and grab these characters and go, are you, are you fucking stupid? Yeah. You just thought you were safe two issues ago and look what happened to you. Why do you keep thinking you're safe? Yet we as the as the reader can very easily look at this page and have the same reaction that that Rick did of oh okay this is going to work. You know, yeah. they're going to be perfectly all right in there because look at this place. You know, it's you know, it's a three-layered fence and you know, it's perfectly defensible. There's guard towers, there's probably tons of guns and ammo in there, you know. They can go in, they can clean it out. This is a defensible position to live, you know, in. And, you know, totally forgetting that they just thought the same thing about whatever the last discovery was, you know, an, an issue or two ago. You know, so that he, that's to me what. Well, he's at the same time, doing... it's making you really happy to see a prison. <laughs> it's yeah, just like, I had that thought. A prison. <laughs> Let's this get, is the first time in human history where somebody's actually going, all right, we go can go live, live there. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just so impressed by, by his ability to basically keep doing the same thing over and over and over, but in, in a slightly different way each time to where it doesn't feel repetitious at all. It feel every time they get into a new situation like this, it, it does feel like you, life. Know, you, you get it. Yeah. You, you get a new sense of hope. You get a new sense of, okay, maybe now everything will be all right. And then that goes to shit. And a couple issues later, Oh, okay. Well, all right. Well, maybe now this situation will be all right. Nope. That goes to shit. You know, it's, it's a perpetual system, but it, it just, he, well, he does it in such a way to where it doesn't feel repetitious. In all honesty, though, if one thing wouldn't have happened, they might have been able to stay there for an indeterminate amount of time. This is true. Yep. This is true. Uh, but it's like in any zombie film, the humans always fuck it up for it's, themselves. It's, it's, that's, yeah, it's never about the zombies being the ultimate enemy. It's always about other humans being the ultimate enemy. Mm -hmm. That's why, that's why Zombieland isn't a real zombie movie. It's an entertaining movie, but it's not a real zombie movie. Whereas The Walking <laughs> Dead is a hundred percent, you know, stamp of approval. It don't it don't get you know the only thing that's going to come close to this is going to have something to do with probably George Romero. Well, as you know, I, I'm, I'm glad you said that, Michael, because one of the one of the things that had stood out in my mind about the next arc, you know, when they actually start to to involve themselves with this prison and everything was that there are a lot of parallels in the next story arc with my favorite zombie film the you know the original dawn of the dead mm -hmm. and what you had said about how the humans ultimately fuck it up for themselves now that i think about it there's even another parallel with you know they're they're doing more or less they're doing just fine in the mall in that movie and it isn't until the the biker gang comes along where right. things yeah. go to shit in that movie and and you know that's kind of the same general direction that this is headed you know to where an outside force 
is ultimately the the downfall of whatever situation they they get into so yeah which is which is actually the 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 difference between the remake and the original that I like the original better is that you know they they pretty much are forced to leave by the zombies essentially in the remake of Dawn of the right, Dead. Right, right. You know, it's 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 not an outside force wanting in. It's just it gets to the point where they're getting into the fucking parking garage, and from there it's only a matter of time before they get topside. So they have to take a proactive stance mm-hmm. to get out of there. Where it's the biker gang coming in and letting the zombies in, and it's a three-way battle. <laughs> with who's going to kill you first. Right. So. Right. Everybody there is just generally going to kill you <laughs> at that point in the, in the story. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just one group so, uh, is slightly more intelligent than the other group. <laughs> yeah, I agree. The zombies were way smarter than the bikers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally with you there, brother. I really do. I really am. <laughs> But the original didn't have any Richard Cheese music in it, and I think get that's up, a definite. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, as much as I, I really enjoy the remake, you know, that, that's a good point about, you know, how they ultimately are, are driven out. Well, also, they. The remake you know, doesn't have the, the gonk in it either, though. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I like the gonk. But, uh, you know, they. they come to a decision that they they'd rather take their chances and and try to leave and get away and get to an island and as much as i like that i was always like i don't know you know i'm I'm alive where i'm at i think i'd be content to just stay and be alive where i'm at you know up up until a point where i just didn't have a choice where maybe i had to go forage for food or something like that they do seem like they reached that conclusion to well let's risk it all you know, on this extreme to get to this guy's boat. Yeah. Well, here's one thing since you were just watching Night of the Living Dead. It, it, one okay. thing that's established in Night of the Living Dead is zombies don't like fire. Right. Yes. They go away when you wave fire at them, and that's abandoned after that movie in all zombie movies. I think a lot of, I think the zombie pe- people who create zombie fiction were like, no, it's too easy. Because if I too was. Easy. If I if I was sitting in the in the remake of Dawn of the Dead when they were sitting in the parking lot looking at that crowd of zombies and picking off the celebrity lookalikes, which is a great scene, but I would right. be yeah. thinking about I would be thinking about making Molotov cocktails because it's yeah, just no a parking shit. lot. It's not gonna, yeah, I'd just be tossing it down and see if I could burn a couple hundred or three hundred of them up because why not? You know, that's three hundred possible corpses that won't eat you you know and it, it would be and at that point it would be twisted enough entertainment since they were picking off you know the celebrity lookalikes why not do some I more think the only thing with that is I could see forging yourself some like torches or something and trying to wave your way through you know as a group Right. trying to wave through a crowd or something like that with torches. But I think the reason that they don't sit up there and just, you know, lob cocktails down at him or something like that is that we see a scene in that movie where uh, they charge, you know, the zombies charge a fence. And they, what do they do? They blow up like a gas pump or something and set them on fire. 
and it doesn't slow them down at all. Yeah, I mean, maybe because not that, they're already yeah. dead and they, they don't feel any pains. They, they would basically have to burn right down. Yeah, just like in 28, where, day, 28 Days Later was the yeah. same thing. Could, you yeah. could light them on fire and they'd still chase after you while they were burning. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I hate fast zombies. I do hate fast zombies I'm, too. Because I'm overweight. And I'd be like one of the first ones to that's, die. Yeah, that's that's like run. that's like the first five minutes of Zombieland. They're just like, yeah, a lot of the heavyweights didn't make it past the initial zombie invasion. <laughs> 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 like r- rule number one of zombie survival was cardio. <laughs> yeah, and I'm kind of screwed too because I live on a, a on a street. The, the neighborhood is literally a road and another road, and there's one way out. I'm screwed. Oh, I'm totally man. Screwed. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and there's, like, a lot of glass and a lot of windows in the house, and there's, like, three different ways to get in. But I'll and... put it this way. Us nerd people are, are well, more well-versed on how to... If there is a zombie apocalypse, we will definitely have a little advantage over just you know Joe Normal who was just like I was watching a Christmas story again I don't know what to do here and <laughs> right where do you or shoot him in the Bob Clark be. you gotta shoot we're, him we're in the heart right <laughs> we're anticipating it too and uh and uh I don't silver, have any bullets, silver bullets that... yeah <laughs> <laughs> though they have less uh silver bullets I found out today have uh, are less accurate than lead bullets. Not according to the Lone Ranger. <laughs> no, I was watching. Uh, it was a special on the History Channel, and this has something to do with horror. So was I it can tell like, why the Lone Ranger is bullshit or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. It, it, was uh, it was about this legend in 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 France in the in 1764 to 1767. There was this werewolf supposedly killing people uh-huh. and the le- the legend is is that this one guy managed to kill him with one one shot with a silver bullet in the heart and basically the the they had a cop and a cryptozoologist tracking this thing and trying to figure out what happened uh never once mentioning one of my favorite movies of all time brotherhood of the wolf which i absolutely love and if you two haven't seen that yet i I haven't seen it. it yet. I've always, I've I wanted to see it. I actually have it somewhere, but I have not watched it yet. A beautiful mix of horror, period, and martial arts. It's really freaking <laughs> stunning to see. And they were doing, and this is the thing about this movie that got me when I watched it the other night. They were doing that Zack Snyder freeze and then have the action start again thing. Oh, yeah. A couple years before he was. So I have a uh, feeling he watched that movie a couple of times. And ripped them off, but basically, they did ballistics tests with a regular bullet and a silver bullet, and the silver bullet was slower and not as powerful and not as accurate because it's heavier. And it doesn't, when a bullet goes through a chamber, it spins, and that's where the speed and power of a bullet come from. And the silver is so heavy that it doesn't get a good spin on it, and it just goes off in its own direction. And this Why is you what gotta I gotta shoot holes in my in my childhood, God man. I'm a, I'm it, a Lone Ranger fan from way on back, man. That's it, man. You, got, you guys scared, told me there was no Santa Claus again. 
<laughs> well, there is a the Santa Claus. Claus year, so fuck you. you we know? have a we have a direct <laughs> we do have a direct radio connection to Santa Claus. I'm telling you. Here's Santa Claus. I want Alice and Mac. Love Mike Bailey. <laughs> Kids, get the cards and letters coming in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need to you need to pimp our uh, our 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 Christmas special again. That's right. I'm, I'm I'm going to be crafting together the Two True Freaks Christmas special, and this year we've got a special contract with Santa Claus himself. We we hook up with him through an old time radio, and and we can talk to him and his elves. And although he does have email, so we can email him your letters. So write your letters to Santa Claus Care of Two True Freaks, and send it to Two True Freaks at Gmail dot com, or come to our forum even better and leave them there. And we'll put them all in a big sack, so to speak, an email sack that we'll send off to Santa Claus, and he'll read your read your letters. I hope he says he will. He seems like a decent guy. I don't know from when what I talked to him. Yeah, so we'll see how it works out. <laughs> and 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 so that will be in our two true freaks Christmas craptacular this year. Craptacular two thousand nine. With so many guest stars that it will make your anus bleed. <laughs> Visit our website at two true freaks dot dot com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. TwoTrueFreaks.Libson.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. The Two True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-5873. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are now also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcasts.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening to Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U. Brains.